0: This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation and botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore N-A. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off all your favorite non-alcoholic spirits. They're available in Canada and in the U.S. and now at LCBO stores across Ontario. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. And we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast, episode 142. Big number. Big number. Big episode. I've got lots of things I want to talk about.
1: Okay, well, let's get to them after we tell people who is on this episode as our special guest.
0: So tonight we have Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart. I've been following her account for ages now. She is amazing, great info, super active on reels. So it's not like one of those follows where you just don't ever see their stuff because it's always there. She's always producing awesome content, but she's a psychologist and she specializes in like her, her background is in everything. You'll hear that, but she specializes in the relationship between tweens and teens and their parents and helps parents learn how to communicate with their kids
1: (laughs) between teens and tweens and their parents i like that
0: between tweens
1: between tweens and and teens teens. and their parents i like that
0: and helps us learn how to understand our kids when they're that age communicate with them and create an environment where our kids want to keep telling us things and work through issues with us instead of like against us so we talk about that we talk about rebellion and healthy boundaries things like that things that shane you and i aren't gonna have to deal with for a long long time but that we can start setting the foundation for now ideally
1: we're dealing with rebellion bedtime every night is rebellion oh my
0: god it's anarchy at bedtime it's like a step further it's nuts but um with that and with needing a non-alcoholic cocktail, cheers, Seed Lip, Grow 42, and Tonic. Keeping it easy, because I'm about to lose my mind.
1: <laughs> it's tasty. Oh, my God. Like I always say, haven't been drinking alcohol recently, so this is always welcome. The old synthetic feeling, you know?
0: Shane, what is your least favorite part about being an adult?
1: Oh, that's a, just out of nowhere. Um <laughs> Least favorite part? Um, pff, I don't know. It's pretty I, having saying having kids would be bad, right? Like least because it's it's a it's a good part. I mean the bad like bedtime. Like yeah. I don't know having kids going to bed and just that period where they just keep running down and coming up with excuses when you're trying to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. The lack of time to do enjoyable things.
0: Yeah. For me, it's and I've been this has been ruminating in my head all day, which is why we're starting off hot with it. It's just that there's so many things to do. You go to sleep, you wake up. Even if you got lots of stuff done the day before, you wake up and there's still a million more things to do that day. Then you go to bed, you wake up, there's more things to do. And if you don't do them, things are going to fall apart. If you don't do them, your kids are going to live in the squalor. They're going to be hungry. You're going to be unhappy. It's just no, like a not. non, it's an ongoing this so many a, things to do. This is our
1: making. Everything that you're worried about is our own making. They're not gonna live in squalor. We'll always, you know, it's like when I was a kid, I was always shocked how adults would complain about how expensive food was and everything. Mm -hmm. Because around the corner from my house, there was a Paradise Subs and a pizza place. (laughs) For $5, (laughs) you could eat and be full every day for (laughs) like, $1 $1 a day, I'm saying, like from oh. Monday to Friday. Slices of pizza were 50 cents. <laughs> Huge. So you could eat one for lunch and one for supper. I don't eat breakfast.
0: So, it was, it was we'll, easy for me. We'll get the kids $1 slices, lunch and dinner every day.
1: McDonald's? The burgers are still cheap there.
0: <laughs> they are. They are, but it's healthy eating, right? It's like a healthy food and things like that cost money and they take time.
1: Oh, what's wrong with bread what's wrong with protein
0: pickles yeah. it's preservatives
1: okay preservatives <laughs> i'm just saying they'll never be that bad off
0: no like they'll they'll have food in their tums but i mean i think it's because i spent all day today and all day yesterday i mean the house looks good it looks great and there's no denying that like i got rid of all the clutter in our most cluttered places like above the mantle on the shuffleboard table sorted out the kids' playroom. But then the things that took the most of my time were things that nobody's even gonna frickin' notice, like the stupid windows. I worked so hard cleaning the windows so that they're crystal clear when you're looking out. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody notices that unless I'm shoving your face in it, which I did to you. Every time you walked by the windows in the last 24 hours, I've asked you to look at my beautiful windows.
1: You notice it, just not directly. It's a subconscious thing.
0: Yeah, and it's like cleaning like weird places in the bathroom, like underneath things that you're never going to see. You didn't know we dusty. And it's like all that stuff that you don't notice. So then you're finished the day and you're like, oh my God, I spent hours doing stuff today. And like my fingers are sore, I'm covered in grime. And like you can't even really see it. And it's so frustrating. And I have like a pimple that swelled up on my face and I'm just like angry at all these things. I thought pimples were supposed to stop when I stopped like – Early puberty.
1: Well, the good news is nothing really matters. (laughs) So, (laughs) really.
0: (laughs) Sometimes I think
1: about that when I'm really like overwhelmed. Just like, who cares? Nothing matters. Honestly, like what are we doing? Nothing matters.
0: I like that. Like the, what, the Nietzschean approach. Is that how you say it?
1: I I just think it's the queen approach.
0: The queen approach. Not not the queen
1: of England, but... (laughs) Freddie Mercury. <laughs> so absolutely- Nothing really matters.
0: No, it's true. It's true. Nothing matters. This pinball doesn't matter. The I mean, I you know whatever, whatever. I do like that approach, and I do find, and it's funny. I read a study about this recently that when people get really anxious about things, it's actually proven that thinking about the worst thing that could happen actually can help ease your mind and i know that that has helped me in the past but sometimes it can also make me spiral like Mm -hmm. if i think of the worst thing that could happen as being death i'm like oh okay like whatever but then if i think of like the worst thing that could happen being okay it's not death it's like all these horrible things before the death and like a painful death then i like spiral
1: but how bad can pain really be even at its worst
0: Oh, I don't want to be like scared and in pain and alone. Like there's so Oh, and then I just think about all the people that are that's happening to in the world and then it like gets me into this like depressive like guilt cycle. It's awful. I've been doing this every night before bed for the last you week. You love
1: it. You love the bad news I cycle. Don't. You're addicted to it more than anybody I've ever met in my life.
0: Cuz it makes me it makes me so sad and then I feel like I have to read more and like because I'm not suffering like other people, like I need to read about their suffering and then it just I, makes me so depressed.
1: I think you look at it You feel sad and feeling sad about other people makes you feel good. And I also, because you're like, oh, I'm such an empathetic person. And then I think you're also like, hey, things could be worse. (laughs) So then that makes you feel better.
0: I don't know if that's my mindset, but it definitely.
1: Not consciously, but I think. Maybe,
0: maybe. That's the
1: psychology behind it. And I've told you, like, I watch stuff like that all the time, like mm -hmm. bad stuff happening. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, I've got it pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and we do. We have a great. And you're right because the stress we're under, everything that we're doing, it is all of our own doing. Like we could easily be living a life where we are, you know, chilling.
1: It's all to have an unnecessary renovation. It's like we work (laughs) and we work and we work and it's grueling. And then we can get that half a star improvement on our hotel when we go away for our mandatory two-week vacation. We can spend... $12,000 twelve thousand unnecessary dollars to get something marble like a counter that's marble or something you yeah. know and, and that's it and you don't really even notice or appreciate it. you don't need it and there's freedom in that too knowing mm-hmm. that who cares if my cars ten thousand dollars better if it was ten thousand dollars less good that person doesn't feel it
0: No, it's the chase, right? And it's that carrot. It's like, oh, I'm going to be happier if I need this. It's like you and I right now, we want a mudroom edition, right? Because the front and I think we will be happier once we get this because our front door gets so damn cluttered, but it's just the chasing the next thing that's going to make you happy. And that's the cliche thing about the middle class, right?
1: Well, it just has to be a game. Life has to be a game. You need to have little distractions. If you don't have it, you're just thinking about the mundanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Of it all,
1: like if you if you're not busy, you're bored. Yeah, and that's the biggest you know double edged sword. Yeah, you want all this relaxing time, but if you have too much, you start itching to have a challenge.
0: And then how are you going to get money to pay for all that relaxing time? But like, I'm just Shane. I'm dying just to scram out of Canada for like four days. Give me four days in Paris. Four days in Vegas. frick I'll go. Give me four days anywhere. Well,
1: both of those places, you s- say it so frivolously. But Vegas and Paris, I think, are pretty high-octane destinations they in different ways.
0: madly. And this is what I'm saying. I need a big thing. It can be a quick big thing, but I need a big bang, you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll do anything. Well, I, that's I can, good. I can have fun anywhere.
0: Oh, same with me. And this is the other thing. Detroit. We've been thinking about Detroit. Let's go to Detroit. <laughs>
1: Paris, Vegas, or Detroit. Or Windsor. We're going to Windsor, honey.
0: Windsor I hate, but I love Detroit. Uh, Windsor is so weird, eh? Have you been there? Sorry if you're from it, Windsor.
1: It feels like purgatory.
0: It does feel like purgatory. You're just waiting to get into Detroit, and it's like you're in a terrible One day we'll spot. get to Detroit, honey. <laughs> Stuck in traffic. Um, okay, so... One of the things that's like was really grinding on me when I was cleaning the house yesterday and today, because again, guys, this was hours of just freaking so much cleaning. And like I was in a zone, right? My brother made an offhand comment, like at the beginning of the summer about how our house is so cluttered because we have so much stuff. And then I laid into him kind of Mm -hmm. just about how it's like, brother, we have two kids we're busy as heck. Yes, we have a lot of things. But like, do you know how many things two kids accumulate? And it's it's just, it's hard. And he doesn't have any kids. He doesn't know. He's a single guy with two cats. I understand that it wasn't meant to be like a dig. But I have been thinking about that.
1: Oh, that upsets me. That That is so uh, such a young person thing to say, too.
0: I know. I've been so upset about it because I'm like, wait until you have a family, even just somebody living in your house, who's not you, who you can't really control and then add some kids into it. And then add like, you're not even just working a normal work schedule. You're working like overtime every single day, both parents. There's no, it's so hard to get out of that, to get over the hump where things are like kind of normal or you can put things away. And every like second that I was cleaning, I was thinking about that. And then my mom made like an offhand comment like last week.
1: What'd she say? She was
0: like, oh, you know, honey, like when you want my dad, you know, your dad and I will come over and we'll babysit so you guys can clean the house. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yes, that's great. But you know, like, I'm like trying to, um, it's just like so hard. And then she's like, yeah, I think you had black mold in your bathroom. And I knew exactly what she meant the second she said that. So. On our on the kids' bathroom mm-hmm. counter, there was like some black stuff like kind of on the countertop. Lucy gets into my makeup every single night. You know this. She yeah. comes down, painted face, all shiny. Like she goes nuts with it every night. And then I hide it and she finds it and she does the same. And she digs into my powders. So it's like, I clean up the powder. The next night she goes, does it again. She's getting into like purples and reds and everything. So my mom thought it was black mold in the freaking bathroom.
1: People forget once they're out of it. Uh, I'm like that when, once I'm out of a big work project. I just think how fun it was or high school is the greatest. But when you're <laughs> in it, it's terrible. It's overwhelming. It's stressful. And when you're retired, it's like, oh, man, like, you know, we'll come over and you'll just clean the house. We're doing so much, and we're doing it so well at such a high level. Mm-hmm. I can't even see the mess. I'm like the Terminator. It's just all I see is the work in front of me and the the mess gets blocked out and it's just gone. And I went to a friend's house mm-hmm. somewhat recently. Uh, they have children. And I consider this person to be a neat person. I went in their house, pandemonium. Mm-hmm. And all I thought was Wow. I never thought I'd see a house where, like at its worst, because I've yeah. seen our house at its worst. I'm like, our house at its worst, probably no one lets it get as bad as us because we're two inherently messy people. Mm-hmm. We have not type A personalities. We're not, you know, we throw clothes on the ground, whatever. Like when you were living at your house, your room was a stage five disaster. <laughs> My room was a stage five disaster. These two people got together yeah. Had children, our children might be disasters too. So it's four people who aren't necessarily great at picking up after themselves. So I just assumed our house is going to be the worst when it's at its worst. This house was worse. Than ours. W- much worse. I was blown away. Mm-hmm. And to their, these people's credit, they they knew. They know the code. Yeah. They're in the same situation. Yeah, And it was just, hey, yeah, yeah, we have kids. And it's, they know. But if- If I was probably much older or much younger, I promise you these people would have cleaned up and been very self-conscious about
0: Mm -hmm. it. No, it's nice when you're dealing with like other people our age or just not even our age, just in the same situation, like you said. And it's just, it's so infuriating because the other thing that people don't realize, I am freaking cleaning up. I'm cleaning up every single day at the end of every night. But then the second, you know, within the kids being awake for 20 minutes. It's right back where it was.
1: It's a a half hour discrepancy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the difference between Jake making that comment is if he was here half an hour earlier or half an hour later. I know. Because these cleanups, they happen fast and the messes happen even faster. So you do a full sweep. You think the house looks great. Boom. (laughs) Lucy just wants to come down and throw stuff everywhere. We we're tired. We want to order Uber Eats. We're going to put the dishes away in the morning. We're going to do these little things to give ourselves a break. So, people, I don't. It's not that I don't respect them. I don't respect their opinion necessarily. Older people, younger people. Mm -hmm. Like the other day, we had a shoot and we had to give someone a ride home.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, And,
1: and. you know, anyone who has a car who has children knows what these cars look like. They're objectively terrible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's, you know, McDonald's bags, things. Cup Boys. holders are filled with bullshit, bubblies, coffees. It, it, the works. There's some weird smell. <laughs> so I gave a speech. Do not judge. She's like, stop it. I've got, and this, this woman has one child. Yeah. She says, I've got a kid. Don't say anything. My life is chaos. So, And then I felt fine when she yeah. entered. There's a code and I'm going to forget the code and when we go to Lucy's house, if she decides to have children in 30 years or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be judging her. I just (laughs) am because I'm going to have all this weird pent up free time that I don't know what to do with and I couldn't fathom, Mm -hmm. even though I've been through it. I still, when I'm 60s, 70s, I won't be able to fathom it.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's the thing, right? It's like we have what... 10 minutes of free time a day like actual free time where we can be detached from things Mm -hmm. and not have stuff to do and then it's just it's a lot it's a lot and you guys if you're listeners with children you know what i'm talking about and if you're listeners without kids take this conversation let it make you wiser no if you're going into your friend's house like they're just fucking going through it take it easy if you're going into a sibling's house anything Don't judge them. Do what you can. Say what you can and make them feel comfortable.
1: I judge a clean house. If I walk in and a house is clean in front of kids, I'm angry. It's like, what's, something's wrong with them. Are they like, are they like torturing their kids? Why aren't they having fun? Don't you feel weird when you walk in a house and it's clean?
0: I get confused.
1: I'm just thinking, they must have done two hours of insane power and they're playing it cool. Mm Because what's the deal?
0: Well, that's what we did because, what, two weeks ago <laughs> or last week, we had multiple days where people like that weren't family had to come over to our house, like for the TV show and stuff. And prior to people coming over, it was me running around like a banshee for three hours, cleaning up what I can, and then everything that I can't find a spot for, which mm. was in mainly laundry. I was just throwing in the one bedroom, shutting the door, and putting something in front of the door so nobody could open it up. And it was like all of the shame of our house was just in one room. Mm-hmm. Everything else looked decent. And that was that. But yesterday and today, I actually like found homes for everything, put away the laundry. like It was an actual clean. And I got to say, you know what was keeping me going today? What's that? And I want to know if you're on top of it. The Don't Worry Darling film premiere in Venice. This was what was keeping me going and giving me little spurts of happiness throughout the day.
1: No, I wasn't on top of it. Uh, film me in.
0: Okay. I'm, I, if if you have been following this, you're going to love this. If not, go look up the Olivia Wilde film that is coming out, premiered today in Venice, Don't Worry Darling, starring Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Gemma Chan, Chris Pine. So there has been a ton of controversy surrounding this film falling out between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde. So Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles also started dating during this movie and they'd be like out, making out in the back. Florence would have to direct scenes. It was it was a mess. It was a total mess. Look it up. But today at the premiere...
1: That was not the best description of well, that. Well, because
0: there's so much backstory at this point. Well, I, can, he, I can't he, even... Here's
1: the backstory. Shia LaBeouf was originally hired mm-hmm. on to have the role that Harry Styles eventually got. But... Florence Pugh had a problem with working with Shia LaBeouf. I'm assuming because he had a history of abuse with his previous girlfriend, Mm -hmm. and that that might have caused conflict. Also, Shia had a problem because he did not feel like he had enough rehearsal time. So he, respectfully, apparently, if if you read the email that Shia made public that he sent to Olivia Wilde, he respectfully moonwalked away from the project, and Olivia presented like she fired Shia Mm -hmm. off the project instead of him leaving. So once it came to light to Shia that Olivia was saying that he was fired instead of him leaving the project, then he made all of his emails public, all of their interactions public, Mm -hmm. including a particularly interesting video in which Olivia is basically begging for Shia to reconsider. And she calls Flo, Or Florence. Uh, What's her name again? Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. She called her Miss Flo. And it sounded a little condescending in what she was saying. And I'm not saying it's because of that video becoming public. But I think... Uh, Florence does not respect Olivia and therefore does not want to promote the film at all. I also have read reviews of this film that it mm-hmm. might not be all it's cracked up to be.
0: Yeah, so in, in that video that she was talking about, she says, oh, I hope this is a wake-up call for Miss Flo. So it's really very uh, negative and inflammatory, right? And so anyway, all this is happening with Florence and Olivia. And then meanwhile, during the filming... Olivia and Harry have this like whirlwind romance, right? She leaves her husband or she left her husband and got with Harry like immediately. There's rumors that maybe be at the same time, but...
1: At the exact same time. The no, second but, they're breaking up.
0: No, there's, there's rumors that she was cheating on Jason with Harry Styles. And anyway, like big thing, tons of just trouble with this movie, with the making of this movie. So today in Venice everybody arrives separately so that's the first major thing like even olivia and harry who are together supposedly don't even arrive together
1: that's a smart move if you know other people aren't gonna arrive with you act like it's the thing
0: so okay they all arrive separately smart and florence like looks amazing right like she's so above this chris pine he's in the movie like people forgot he was even in it because he's not in the drama at all so he's looking great he's chill And Florence is, like, drinking the second she gets there, having Aperol spritz, just time of her life, whatever. You see them all finally coming together on the red carpet. There is not, from the second they hit the red carpet until the movie was, like, done showing and they did their press, there was not a single interaction between Olivia and Florence, expected. Mm -hmm. But the lengths to which they try to avoid each other, there's so many videos of it, is cringy. The worst, though... There was not a single interaction between Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. They are on the freaking outs. They are clearly broken up.
1: Oh, are they? How do you know?
0: Okay. So the seating plan was Olivia, Chris Pine, Harry Styles, Gemma Chan, Florence Pugh in everything they did. That's smart though. Olivia and uh, Harry did not look at each other. There was one instance. No, he's coming in, okay, to the movie theater. So Olivia's sitting there. And she's looking at him and giving the, him this like condescending clap as he's walking in. And then she's trying to get his attention. The second he's clearly avoiding her. And then the second he looks at her, she looks away and he gives her this like really condescending wave. Like, yeah, yeah, you bitch. Mm. Shane, it is. It's wild. And then when they first see each other on the red carpet, he is um, Harry Styles is walking up to Olivia Wilde and Chris Pine. Doesn't even look at Olivia. Goes, fist bumps Chris Pine, walks away, and makes it so clear. He's like an inch away from her face, makes it so clear that they're avoiding each other. It's so cringeworthy. It is so high school to a point. Just, it's so toxic. And he couldn't even find anything good to say about the film. I played you that one clip where people are like, What is so great about this film? And he goes, Well, it's a movie, and uh it's a movie that makes you want to watch.
1: I wouldn't movies. even, let's not even try the English accent. <laughs>
0: It was bad. It was so bad. And this is his supposed girlfriend's film. Can't find anything to say about it. And the film from the review I read was given a C minus. But Florence apparently had an incredible performance as she typically does.
1: I didn't like Booksmart.
0: I didn't like Booksmart A, a lot
1: of people love that movie. To me, it felt like she got a little lucky with the reviews and mm. the way it was received. And then my friend sent me the trailer and he was all excited. And I said, this isn't going to be good. You can tell this trailer is hiding so many mm-hmm. sins through the... It was an excellent trailer, but you could tell it's hiding a secret. And the secret is the movie sucks.
0: I just... it. What ruined it for me is the relationship between the teacher and the student. I think she was just trying to be edgy with that. It was like a female teacher going for a student. And it that was just so... Ugh, you know? That ruined the movie for I, me. Yeah, I
1: don't remember that part, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. The teacher was like going to parties and stuff. It was weird.
1: Oh, in Book Smart. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you, I was talking about the trailer and then you. Oh,
0: for Don't Worry, Darlings. Yes. Oh, okay. So the review that I read, apparently the trailer shows the highlights of the movie and then it's like everything else sucks. Yeah. No. Yeah. Anyway, that got me through the day. And I, I really encourage you all to go and look at these clips. I keep getting them sent to me from like Twitter. I don't have Twitter. But uh, a friend keeps sending them and it's like the most fascinating thing to follow. And
1: Harry, not a good actor. No? No.
0: I thought he was okay in Dunkirk.
1: Okay is the operative (laughs) word. He's okay. He's not a good actor.
0: No, I see. I like Harry Styles.
1: Okay. Everyone likes Harry Styles. We can establish that. But that doesn't mean, oh, I no. If I like someone, that means therefore they're a great actor. He is very likable. Great singer, great performer, not a great actor. And we have to stop casting Harry Styles in movies, I think.
0: Yeah, I was just, I was truly hoping that this movie would be good because it looks fun, it looks stylish. I love Florence, I love Harry. I didn't know Chris Pine was in it, I love Chris Pine. And it just seemed, it's Nick Kroll in it too. Yes. Yeah, and it just seems like a cool movie. And I was really, really hoping that it would be good. But I believe that it's terrible.
1: I haven't seen The Step for Wise But it just looked like the Stepford Wives. It is. It is. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I I don't even want to see the Stepford Wives.
0: (laughs) Everyone's like, this is a
1: poor version of the Stepford Wives. Okay.
0: But uh, yeah, go check it out, folks. You will have hours of entertainment. But I say let's get to our interview.
1: Okay. But before we do that, let's let everyone know who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best nursing bras that you can get your hands on, your boobs into. They are comfortable. They are practical. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I've been singing their praises for, what, two and a half years on air, four years just in my life because I became acquainted with them when I was nursing Lucy and was really one of the only things that was comfortable enough for me to wear every day in those early months of postpartum. I love bravado designs, they have not disappointed me. And now that I've finished my nursing journey with Betty, I am still so stoked because they now have an everyday collection. These are bras with no clips. They're not for nursing mothers. They are for anybody with boobs. And again, that same quality and same comfort that you love. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. We are also supported by True Earth. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprints. And one way that we're doing this, and one of the easiest ways that anybody can do this, is through eliminating single-use plastics in our household. Because with two kids and, like we say, two messy people, like parents, it adds up. Not only the garbage, the stuff but the laundry room clutter. Because think about all those big, giant detergent bottle jugs, which not only use a ton of water, but then have this big, bulky plastic packaging, which, you know, 75% of doesn't even end up in the recycling receptacles that you put it in. It all just gets thrown in the dump, even if you do try to discard it properly. But Shane and I, about a year ago, discovered true earth. So true earth makes, among many things, laundry detergent. Their laundry detergent is revolutionary because it comes in these pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart, toss in the machine. It is so easy and they work. The best part is that there is no plastic. The packaging is super compact and it has drastically changed the tidiness of our laundry room. The packaging itself takes up about a half an inch and we've got enough laundry detergent for like the next two years stacked up in there. It is really, really amazing and it works beautifully. And as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin, we usually go for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free, it's gentle on skin and still super tough on dirt. The clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. But they now also have a lilac breeze scent, which Shane and I love. And again, gentle on skin, tough on dirt. It's just something that you guys need to take my word for. So check out True Earth Detergent at True.Earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 to get 10% off your order. You're going to love this product. Again, that is True.Earth and ThisFamilyTree10. And now let's get to our interview with Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart. Dr. Anne Louise, it is so amazing to have you on this podcast. We were just saying that it's been a bit in the making and I'm so glad to finally be making it happen. So welcome. Thank you. And I want to start off with your background. You're a psychologist and you specialize in teens and tweens like older kids basically, right? So if you could tell us what you do instead of me doing that because I I really don't know. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yes. So I do a, a variety of things. So I'm a pediatric psychologist by training. I uh, was trained in the military as a civilian. And so I got my training working with children and teens of active duty service members. Oh, wow. And then I got my specialized training in pediatric psych, which meant working with kids and teens and young adults with medical diagnoses along with medical physicians
0: okay so So
2: that's where the specialty comes in
0: so being in like being trained by the military working with kids of military personnel that would be i imagine like would that be like a lot of trauma-based stuff just because of what their parents are
2: doing Not necessarily. So when I started the work, it was at the beginning of the war in 2005. So a lot of the service members were being deployed to places and lengths of time that they had never done before. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the kids were dealing with their parents coming back different. So that's where some of the trauma was, whether it was psychologically different or physically different. So a lot of, we saw a lot of amputees, a lot of burns um, in their, in their parents, but the other flip side of it was just kids who were just dealing with normal stuff. And then just happen to have a parent who's absent or dealing with stuff because they're in the military. Mm-hmm. And then, on top of that, with the medical diagnoses, kids who had cancer or sickle cell or pain or death, um, you know, near death experiences where they had to adjust to that stuff. So, really, my background is really um, broad and deep because of the extensive training that I got with that. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, a lot of, I spent 10 years there and working a lot with just getting really good at working with all ages. So really I worked from infants all the way to geriatric while I was there. So when I started private practice six years ago, And I was trying to figure out after working in the military for 10 years, I was trying to figure out with my husband, like, what should I specialize in? Because everybody's like, have a niche, have a niche, have a niche. And I was like, oh, but I like everything. I like the geriatrics. I like the teens. I like the college age. I like the infants. I like the parents. And he was like, well, your specialty could be everything. I was like, that's not a specialty, (laughs) you know, so um, like a car dealership, we specialize in domestic and foreign. So, so yeah, so I work a lot with teens and parents. And that's, that's now been kind of my stage right now is doing a lot of that work. But I also see a lot of parents who have toddlers and school-age mm-hmm. kids as well, too. It's, it's hard to kind of niche down in terms of what I exactly do, but I do a lot of work in that area because there is a missing gap in terms of people who do help parents who have teens. There's not a lot of help for mm-hmm. them. And so I do a lot of work in that area.
0: Well, I appreciate your very wide-ranging field of expertise because, you know, even though I don't have teenagers yet and won't technically for another, what, I don't know, over 10 years, it's going to be a while. But still, you know, I I like to have that in my back pocket and I do work with teenagers on a daily basis, which for some reason is easier because I've got a little bit less skin in the game. But also you make great posts on little kids with big feelings and how to approach some of those because my four-year-old is starting to have really big feelings and maybe not starting to. I'm sure she's been having these for a long time, but she's getting really good at vocalizing them. And my poor two-year-old Betty, like she can't vocalize anything because she's still learning how to talk, but she's got massive feelings and the lack of communication that we're able to have just kind of exacerbates it all. But dealing with teenagers, you know, you always hear little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And that is such a fear. And I'm curious, what aspects of tween and teenage parenting do you find parents have the hardest time with like is it the sex the drugs or the rock and roll <laughs> yeah that's a
2: that's a complicated question with this age group i th- but I think the biggest issues aren't the things that people expect like they think oh it's you know the pornography or the sex or the running away or the boyfriend or whatever but what I find the biggest issues are their transition like parents aren't Ready for it. Like it, there, it is a normal developmental transition for kids to go from typically having their parent be their world. They rely on them, they hang out with them, they want to be around them, they want to get the kisses and the cuddles. And then they make this switch, and it's happening younger and younger. They make this switch in this transition where the parents are no longer the center of their world. Friends and social media and other people, strangers, celebrities are more important and demand more of their attention. And parents have a hard time grieving that loss. They think there's something wrong with their kid because they don't want a little hug and kiss. They don't want to hang out with me anymore. They want to hang out with their friends. What is wrong with my child? Or they're moody or... Th- that I, To me, I think that's the biggest thing. I get a lot of inquiries from parents that when they bring in their teenager or when they talk to me, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with them. They don't have a diagnosis. <laughs> there's nothing wrong. This is normal developmental transition. And I think that's the hardest part is that, that grieving that loss of that kid.
0: So then is your role then helping the parent connect with that their child in the phase that they're yes, in. Yes, exactly.
2: To help them change. Okay. A big thing that I do is really getting parents to tap into their mindset. What is your parent mindset about what you thought parenting was going to be? Because I think for most of us, it's different than what we thought it was going to be. And to tapping into what you thought parenting was going to be and what you, th- what you thought your kid was going to be, what they were going to be like, what their personality, their interests, how they were going to dress and look and like and value. It's really getting them to tap into that mindset and then grieving that loss.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think that that transition from childhood to young adulthood, teenage years, do you think that is the toughest transition for parents or do you think yeah. it comes earlier? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's,
2: I th- to me, I, I did a series last year. I was just looking at some of the videos um, this week on, I I I think the toughest times for parents are toddlers and teens.
0: Okay. Okay. Toddlers and
2: teens. And they're very similar. They're, they both go <laughs> through very, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because, because of the independence and autonomy, right? Like when you become a toddler between two and four ish, five, You start to do things that you couldn't do before, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, your little one, Betty, she can't really speak that much. So you start to learn to find your words. You can now walk. You could wipe your own bum. I could cut my own meat. You don't need to, you know, all these things they can start to do that they couldn't do before. It's that independence, autonomy, and just testing limits. Teens do the exact same thing. I can dress how I want, I can buy my own clothes, I can believe what I want to believe, and you can't make me do anything different. And so I think those two phases of life for a parent Mm -hmm. are the toughest, the toddler years and the teen years.
0: Oh, like I, okay, so my mom's here right now. She's downstairs watching Betty for me. And I was having a panic attack this morning, because I've just got a lot on my plate right now. And I went and cuddled up to her on the couch. She was tickling my back. And like, as a teenager, oh my God, like I went, I was really close to my mom always, but I went through a couple of years where I was like not the most patient, not the nicest, very much like Betty is now. But I just think like I was totally going through that. And, you know, I think all teenagers and I've read about it, that rebellion is a phase that it's a developmental phase that's totally normal and that your kids probably should go through. And like when I was 14, I started dyeing my hair pink and studding leather jackets. I think I joined like a communist mailing list, like <laughs> lots, <laughs> lots of interesting stuff, right? And um, it, was, it must have been so weird for my parents, but they were so good with all of it. And going into this interview with you today, I was talking to my mom about it and I asked her what... The hardest part about raising teenagers was in her experience and she said knowing when to set boundaries knowing Mm. when to trust us knowing when to follow her instinct and say oh this doesn't seem okay and i can't even imagine how tricky that is and i'm curious what you would tell my mom you know 20 years ago or me in 12 years if i'm having that issue like how would how would we approach that yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think that would probably be maybe one of the top
2: issues or struggles for parents is not just the transition and, and mourning the loss of their you know little baby to their young teenager, but it's also the boundaries. Like not feel especially with all the messages that we're getting now compared to like, ever, all the messages that we're getting in terms of you're doing it wrong if you do this and that's not the way you should do it. Don't talk to your kid this way. Um, but setting boundaries because I think some people feel like they're being too passive they're letting their teenagers get away with murder. And um, on the flip side, teenagers feeling like their parents are over-parenting. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's about not knowing that there's no cookie cutter approach and there's not one way of doing it. You have to tap into your personality as a parent, your cultural background, your family background, your teenager, their personality, the stage of life that they're at. And you have to parent differently based on all of those things. I think so often parents think, oh, if I'm parenting a certain way, I kind of have to stay consistent. Well, yes and no. We want to remain consistent, but we also want to adapt based on who's in front of us. We want to parent the kid in front of us. And so the kid that you have, like I have a 10 and 12-year-old, a 10-year-old son and 12-year-old daughter. My daughter, who's 12, just started seventh grade two weeks ago. She's different today than she was two weeks ago. So weird. <laughs> It's weird. Like, it's just all of a sudden she just seems more mature and more social and more, like, it's so weird. So the way that I talk to her and parent her and engage with her has to be different than a week ago, than two weeks ago, than five years ago. And I think we have to keep that in mind so that when we are setting boundaries and rules and limitations, we have to take into account the kid in front of us. Cause some kids are going to be very independent and very trustworthy and we don't have to, we can kind of go with the flow and other kids are going to be like, okay, I think I'm going to put like a tracker on your phone, (laughs) 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 but talking to them about that. So it's collaborative and it's like, you know what? based on the past history, you've shown that you don't come home right away and you've been hanging out with those friends that then you tend to get into trouble with. So let's start to establish some boundaries so that we can help keep you accountable and that we can help you make good decisions. So it's not like they're making, you're trying to like lock them down and ruin their life, but you're trying to do it with them.
0: And they may say that, but you're not. And I do want to say on that collaborative parenting, I think it's so important and it's, you know for a listener maybe who that is new to they might think oh well that seems maybe counterintuitive to have your kid come in and make the rules with you or how am i going to implement that 3013 that's something you know we if we have young kids we have the ability to start now like we've been kind of doing that with our oldest since she was able to start communicating with us like okay bedtime routine how many songs are we going to sing deciding on that together so then that kind of collaboration is just fundamental in our relationship with her. And Absolutely. I, re- I really like that and okay, so I have a personal question because yes. I'm so I'm just curious. So being able to kind of tap in to you know the mindset of a teenager and the best way to communicate with them and help them solve issues, I'm so curious. what kind of teenager were you? and did you go through a rebellious phase? <laughs> Yes. So
2: I <laughs> I was my personality is always one that I call people out on their stuff. Okay. So even my mom shared this story with me and I did of course I did not remember it but I I was so tickled by it and I shared it with my kids really proudly. So this gives you kind of a sets the stage for why I was the way I was as a teenager. So my mom said that she remembers When I was about five or six, I was having problems with my eyes. And she took me to the eye doctor. I was the youngest of three. I'm the baby. And I was sitting on her lap, and the eye doctor was testing me and asking me questions. And every time I would tell him what I was seeing, he would like, oh, like totally dismissing it and being totally like, whatever. And by the third time, she said that I, when he asked me a question, I folded my hands and I looked down. And then she says, Ann Louise, the doctor's asking you a question. And I said, Mommy he doesn't believe me when I speak. So why should I say anything at all? And so she said she was horrified because she was a people (laughs) pleaser. (laughs) So she was horrified. But at the same time, she was like, you know, she's right. And she said, you know, my daughter's right. You keep asking her and she's telling you and you're not believing her. So then he apologized. He owned up to it and it changed. So that's me. Okay. So, you know, people give me gifts as a kid and I'm like, what's this? So I was really, <laughs> you know, it looked like rude, but I was really a sweet kid. Teachers always loved me. I'm still in touch with like so many of my teachers mm-hmm. to this day. Okay. All right. So fast forward to teenage years. <laughs> I would speak up when it came to stuff at school and a lot of teachers that I that did not like that would call me out on it. But for me, I became one of those teenagers that I felt like, if you're not going to believe me when I say things, then Mm -hmm. I'll just do what I want. So I went through a phase probably for about three years where not coming home when I was supposed to, lying about stuff that I shouldn't, dating someone I wasn't supposed to be dating, like really shouldn't have been. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just things like that because I, I just wanted to. And I caused my mom a lot of grief. My brother and sister were out of the house by then because I'm significantly younger. And uh, I was rebellious. I didn't like school. Uh, Mm -hmm. After seventh grade, I had a bad experience in seventh grade um, with a math teacher, and I just lost interest in school. So from then, for a few years, I just hated school, hated learning, and just did what I wanted. So then, I I came back to it my senior year of high school when I got or uh, the island that I grew up on got hit by a hurricane and I you know we lost stuff and everything. But for me, I really started seeing the value in dealing with my feelings and dealing with what's what's really going on and kind of turning things around. But. Yeah, I went through a phase where I think people assume, oh, you must have been a great teenager. No, I wasn't, actually.
0: (laughs) No, no. I I think it takes some... Like, if you want to speak to kids who go through rebellious phases, you have to have had that. Otherwise, how are you ever going to connect? Like, how can you be a principal if you've never done anything naughty and you can't can't see where these kids are coming from, see where their angst is coming from, their frustration, anything? I, I truly believe that you need to maybe not to the same level, but you right. at least need to be able to get in touch with that old part of yourself. And, yeah, I
2: agree. You know, I agree. And the thing is, I, I I struggled with depression. I have a trauma background in terms of things that I experienced, which led to a lot of that rebelliousness. So I think a lot of that stuff, when I'm seeing what teenagers are going through, I think what I'm really educating parents on is that it's important to see past the problem behavior because there's always... There's always a reason for why they behave and act and think the way they do. Always. When you see something in front of you, my perspective as a teenager was, if I can't tell you when things are hurting because you can't handle it, then why should I tell you anything at all? So Mm -hmm. screw you. I'll just do what I want. And that was my... I don't think I was fully aware of it at the time, but when I look at some of my old journals, which
0: I still have, that's exactly what I was thinking. Of do, right? you ever, do you do ever cringe reading them ever? Anytime oh, I read gosh. something old of mine, it's so difficult to get through. <laughs> yeah,
2: I was like, oh my gosh, what was wrong with me? <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it, yeah. it's brutal. It's either like right. Vince Carter with a heart around his name and then some like angsty song lyric or <laughs> that's it, it's awful. Um, but you know, like... Uh, That specific situation where, you know, going to your parents and trying to say something and then in your head, it kind of internalizing that saying, okay, you can't handle it. So I'm just not going to say anything. That was such a fear of mine. And I think looking back, I didn't even really give my parents much of a chance to show that they could be understanding because I was personally so, I I didn't want to disappoint them. I didn't want to make them worry I didn't want to do anything bad. Again, people pleaser in a sense. Like I totally do my own thing, but then I get like I get really nervous about people being mad at me and whatnot and it eats me alive. And I think that I kept things sometimes from my parents just in fear of them possibly having a negative reaction. Even mm. though they were they were pretty understanding people. And I, I'm nervous about That with my young kids now. And I want to create an environment where when the time comes, they'll feel comfortable saying, hey, mom, can you come pick me up from this party? I don't feel comfortable. Hey, mom, this bad thing happened. I did this bad thing. Can you help me find a way out of it? Can you help me recover from it? Yeah. And what can I do to create that atmosphere? Because sometimes I'm like, I I feel like I'm doing everything, but I know I'm not. Like. It's hard, but that's, but that's, that's a valid point because
2: if that's why I tell parents when they have little kids and they feel like, oh, they need to just, you know, shut it down. They need to get it together and calm themselves down. And I'm like, you, your kid, when they're little, they need to know that my feelings are not too much for you. They need to know that. Even when you just like, oh my gosh, and you know this behavior is highly irritating and annoying, and but yet developmentally appropriate, we always need to communicate to our kids that even when your feelings are too much for you,
1: mm-hmm. they are not
2: too much for me. So that as they get older and they hit the preteen tw- teen years, they know my feelings aren't too much for my mom. Mm-hmm. And my mom and I had to do some healing with that. We always had a great relationship, but then there was little kind of riffs in it because I didn't I couldn't go to her with things because she was she made it very clear it was too much for her Um, she made it clear because she didn't deal with her own stuff and so we have to deal with our own stuff and we need to make it clear to our our kids you're not too much for me and one of the things that my mom and I had a conversation um several many years ago um she was feeling that I had a closer relationship with my in-laws and she was she was feeling you know she's feeling all kinds of ways about it. And I said, mom, I said, the way that I grew up, it was never okay to have feelings, especially tough feelings. That's how the island culture is. That's how our um, ethnic culture is. That's how our family culture was. So it was like triple whammy. And I said, so I never felt like I could share when things were tough, were hard for me. And she acknowledged that. That was so healing for me for her to acknowledge, yes, you're right. I didn't make it okay for you to share those things. I didn't make it okay... Because that's how our family always was. I said, Yeah, but it's not okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why I'm so close to my in-laws because we share those things, all those tough feelings, the things that we need to address, we share and we we move through it even when it's uncomfortable. And that's how you have that relationship with your kid, with your teenager, that you make it okay that even when it's tough for me to hear that you just broke up with your boyfriend, your girlfriend. When you've been bullied, when your best friend just dumped you, when you smoked and you shouldn't have, like even when I feel like, oh, did I just screw up? I accept and love you throughout all of it. I'm not going to say I'm disappointed. I'm not going to say you should have known better. I'm going to just accept you where you're at so that no matter how much you screw up, you can always come to me. That's what you need to be communicating. Mm
1: -hmm. And I
2: think that is so important because if you can set that up early or if you've already feel like you screwed it up, <laughs> you can own it. Say, you know what? I have had overreactions to small little mistakes that you've made. And I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's how I was raised. And that's not the way that I want to raise you. Can we reset and just start fresh? I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I, I do therapy with some adults, because like I said, I do a lot of stuff. And a lot of adults, even if they're struggling with anxiety or depression, a lot of the foundation for a lot of that is Broken relationships with their own parent oh, I or parents, that, yeah. and any of them would just love it if a parent would just to own. I am sorry that my actions hurted hurt you. That's so healing. So you know, my thing is that I never. I believe it's never too late to repair that, and I think that as a parent, whether you have a teenager, a college age kid, or a toddler. Setting the foundation or repairing that foundation of saying, "I'm there for you. Your your stuff is not too much for me, and we'll work through this together." It's so important.
0: Yeah, you see, that feels like like a restorative justice kind of thing to yes. me, and I think that that is so important. Like because as you grow, right, when you realize that your parents aren't the all knowing, all seeing God and goddess who do everything right and never make mistakes, that can lead to resentment I've seen it with friends I've seen it with cousins you know and growing up you could look back and say well hey why like especially I think once you become a parent yourself and say hey why did you do it this way like it makes so much more sense to do it this way and it's so much more uh warm and helpful to do it this way and I think that that can be like things are so generational and so cyclical you know, you were talking about like causing depression and things like that because of how people were raised. So, being able to address that as adults when both parties are adults is so healing. And, like, I've spoken, so I'm so close to my mom, right? Like, I call her, I don't know, three times a day just for stupid things. Like, anytime I start driving in my car, I'm like, yo, mom, what's up? Like, <laughs> with nothing important to say. And there was one point in my life where I, Barely said 10 words to her for six months time because she told me that she didn't like a guy I was dating in my 20s. And I was already going to break up with this guy before she told me I was getting ready to break up with him. She told me she didn't like him. I got my backup. So I dated him out of spite for Mm. another year. Out of spite. I didn't enjoy that year. I did not want to date this guy. And then I was so upset with my mom that I didn't talk to her for six months. And it was really hard to even discuss that time period, you know, after a few years went by. We both kind of just ignored it. But once we did have a conversation about it, it was so restorative. And it was mm-hmm. so helpful. But they're, they're hard to have. They are. They're so hard. And how would you go about, like... Just say there was somebody like me or somebody else who wanted to have a difficult conversation with their parent in an ideally restorative conversation, but don't know how to go about doing it because I am personally, and all my listeners know this, I run from conflict. Like other direction, it's the flight, and I hate rocking the boat. I like to be cruising. I like to be happy. And the second things aren't like that. I like I I have an internal freak out and I feel like I'm going to combust. So how how could you direct somebody like me to, you know, initiate that conversation?
2: Yeah. Well, you might be asking the wrong person because I face conflict. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom runs from it. (laughs) Right. My mom runs from it, which is why we couldn't have the conversation. So what I would suggest, because this is how I was able to do it with my mom, because every time I could feel, I know that she could feel when I wanted to talk to her about something, she would shut down or just avoid it. Uh, What I did was for a time period, and you have to be, that's why you have to know your personality. You have to know the personality of the parents that you want to address this with, that you address them based on what you know they can handle and what you know you can handle. And that you have to make sure that you go in with the right mindset, that the way they respond is not about me. It's about them. If you have a parent who is resisting addressing an issue or they don't want to take ownership for what happened, that's not about you. That's about them. Mm -hmm. And it's about all the messages that they're sharing in their head. So I would say go slow, and go gradual. So like with me in restoring my relationship with my mom, a lot of what I did was a lot of texting mm. just every day throughout the day. Hey, how are you doing? And then I'd send a bit emoji. And she, I remember when those first came out and she's like, what's that? How did you do that? So I did like a tutoring session oh, awesome. about how to do it. And she set it up. She goes, oh, I want to, I want to add earrings. I'm like, they don't have those yet. I'm like, oh, I want to make my hair great. Like, so so cute. it was a lot of that just, you know, with mm-hmm. no pressure of talking about serious stuff. And a lot of that was just relationship building because that's at the foundation of every healthy interaction. I think so often parents think it's about boundaries and rules and all that kind of stuff. No, the foundation of every healthy relationship is the connection. It's the relationship and healing comes from the relationship. That comes with everything, parent, student, parent, uh, teacher, teacher, student, every, you know, all those, you know, relationships in terms of marriage. So I would say build it slowly in terms of just connecting on things that bring each of you joy. So whether it's texting, whether it's sharing funny videos and pictures, we would share WhatsApp videos from online online. Talking about just random stuff without saying, Hey, can we talk about because then you know they'll shut down again? I think it's about knowing who you are, knowing the parent, and just slowly and gradually connecting on equal ground so that you can get there. So that way you can say, Hey, there's been something that's on my mind that I really been wanting to talk about. And when you feel like it's time and you're ready, using I language. Okay. So that, so that you're not, they don't feel like they're. Because if someone feels defensive, they're going to kind of put the wall up and shut you down. Oh, that's what I'll so, do. Right. So I felt hurt when I shared what you um, I felt hurt when you said this about me in front of the family, and it didn't really make me feel great, which is why I shut down. I would appreciate it in the future that if you wanted to correct me on something, you just did it in private. Can we agree to that? So that way you're using I language. I felt this when you, this can, I would appreciate if you did this in the future. So that way you're owning it. You're telling them how you felt and what would you like to have happen? So that way you're establishing healthy boundaries for yourself and whether they receive it or not is not about you. It's about them and it's not to take it personally and to know that they
0: have to go through the process, but it's okay for you to still have boundaries. All right, Dr. Anne Louise, we are going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor ever. One of the things I like most about this monitor is that it doesn't make any physical contact with your child. Because a lot of these smart monitors, you need to wear a sock, a chest strap, something to attach to your kid so that it can actually accurately monitor the sleep. But the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor uses sensor fusion technology, which is a military-grade technology, to monitor this. It works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions, and it works Fast. There are tests online. You can go see these videos. It, you know, pairs it up between other monitors, and it works faster than anything. It really is amazing to see. There's also crypto security. This means it can't be hacked. You hear horror stories about smart monitors and people hacking into them, spying on your kids, talking to your kids. It's freaky. It gives me nightmares. But with this crypto security, it cannot be hacked. Again, this is like above my understanding of technology and science. I'm just kind of amazed by it and it does really put me at ease. What I love and can speak on understanding is the amazing HD video and photo and the great night vision that this camera offers. Right now, I use it to look at both my kids while they sleep because they're sharing a room and I can see them so Well, the field, like the scope of vision for this monitor is better than anyone I have. And I can actually see clearly into their crib, into their bed and know that they're safe. Again, brings me so much peace of mind. There's also custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone so that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but you can talk to and comfort your kids through the actual app on your phone. So go to MikuCare.com and if you use the promo code FAMILYTREE10, you're getting 10% off. This is available in the US only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FamilyTree10. It's because no other monitor is a Miku. And we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini MiniMiosh is a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable clothing company founded and created in Toronto. I would usually say that it's a kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto, but recently they have opened up their women's collection. This is the M and West collection, and it is every bit as comfortable and fabulous as you would have imagined. Mini Mioche believes in quality over quantity, and they make the best basics. And again, this started with basics for our kids. They make fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless, and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. Their M&West Women's Collection has that simple, amazing quality that you love. It's produced ethically and sustainably, and it's made with this like French terry that just washes better than like fleece or cotton. It's so good, you're really gonna like it. I wear mine like very, very too frequently, some might say, but there's no way I'm taking it off. And what I love is that all of the organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes mini Miosch is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minniemiache.com or at miash on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US, and it is only one use per customer. So please make sure you stack up your cart. You won't regret it. And again, that is minniemiache.com and ThisFamilyTree15. And now let's get back to our conversation. And is this the same kind of process? If it was the other way around, instead of talking to our parents, we as parents are talking to our tweens or our teenagers. Absolutely. Is it the same kind of like establishing relationship, making sure you're doing that even if you don't understand your kid? And then approaching problems with that kind of language. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's the same thing. You're saying, you know, I – when I spent five hours cleaning the kitchen and you came in and dropped this spoon <laughs> – What I was telling myself is that you didn't respect all the time I spent in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But I know that you just weren't thinking about it. I would appreciate in the future, if you notice that the kitchen is
0: clean, that you just put it in the dishwasher. I got to say that to my husband. And it makes me think (laughs) of, too, like when I was a teenager, that conversation from my mom would have been like, I would appreciate if after working all day long, really hard to put food on the table, I came home and you took out that chicken a thaw for the dinner I'm about to make you like I asked you to. instead, my poor mom had to work with like frozen chicken because of course I would never remember. (laughs) So when, okay, we are establishing relationships, making sure that we're still connected to our teenager, even if, you know, we don't get them, even if we don't understand them, even if they're going through a rebellious phase. What if there is a serious issue? If we suspect there is a serious issue because teenagers, like anybody else, they can get nervous. And like we've been we're speaking about earlier, they might think that we as parents don't have the capacity to handle it. So, how do we broach that topic, whether it is mental health, whether it is drugs, whether it is being around people who might be toxic? Mm-hmm. I think we stay away from being judgy
2: and stay away from making assumptions or projecting things and i think you start by just describing what you see i notice that you've been coming home past the curfew and i notice that you often smell like smoke i notice that you spend hours in the bathroom with your phone and i hear sounds in there <laughs> and i notice we have tons of towels in the washing machine <laughs>
0: That is the conversation. Okay, my face isn't this red. I've already told you, but I could see it even getting more red, which means that it's getting at least a little bit red. Right. But I you not even just, imagine that's so hard.
2: It's so hard. That is why we want to just describe so that we're not making assumptions. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're learning something new. We don't know. We don't know. We could probably guess. And because I was such a sneaky kid, When my kids try to do stuff, I was like, please, I am like the master of sneak. So, (laughs) right. So I think we have to describe what we're seeing and give them the opportunity to then say what's going on because many times kids are going to impulsively lie or exaggerate the truth or try to cover up. Why? Often because they feel shame. They feel like they just got busted. They feel like there's going to be some kind of punishment. So we want to give them the opportunity to explain because like I said in the beginning, there is always a reason for behavior. There's always a reason. And so if we go to punishment and just taking things away, taking the door off the hinges, taking their cell phone away, shutting off the Wi-Fi, we're still not getting the issue. And one, it when they get those things back, they're going to go right back to the same thing. So we always want to get to the root of it. So why is my kid spending hours in the bed- their bedroom by themselves? Maybe because every time they come out, you're always asking them some mm-hmm. random question about did you just clean your room and <laughs> why are you always in your room and you know what about that little girl you've been talking to? Why is she such a bad friend? Like they're it, you're a sucky person to talk to. That's why mm-hmm. they don't come out of their room. Mm-hmm. So I tell parents like if your kids always have their earbuds in, like is it worth taking them out? Like, are you just going to be nagging and lecturing them, or do they feel like you actually delight in them and you enjoy them? And so I think you want to be able to describe what you see, give them the opportunity to talk about what's going on, and then get to the root cause of it. So whether it's eating disorders, drug use, pornography, um, sneaking out of the house, depression, they can feel safe to talk about it because they feel like you're not going to jump to conclusions and then run to just punishing them without finding out what's really going on.
0: I think that's huge. I think that what you said about do you do your kids know that you f- delight in them, that you find joy in them? Because I think as parents so often our mind is like, OK, protect the child and help the child thrive. And sure, maybe when they're like four and two like mine, but then how do you because a lot of that protection and helping your kid thrive is like that snuggly stuff that they want anyway. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. and routine and you to be there for everything but then as they get older that doesn't isn't the case right that changes so even if your mindset is like i would do anything for my kids i love my kids like i'd die for them if you aren't showing that you delight in them and you're stuck in that like are they protected are they doing the school doing the right things everything They're going to take that as just being overbearing and they're not going to understand it's coming from a place of like genuine love. Right.
2: Right. Right. And then you have to ask yourself, why are you doing so much. What do you, what do yeah. you do? Like, what are you really afraid of? And a lot of parents will say, well, cause I know what I did, or I see what happened to their older sibling, or I don't want them to get hurt or screwed up in some way. And, or they're projecting onto it. Like when my daughter had an issue with some friends who were excluding her from a group chat that she was included in. And she was like, how should I respond? And it brought a lot of stuff up in me because I remember when that happened to me, um at her age and I had to take a breath and I said okay there's a lot of things I want to tell you to say but I'm going to take a step back <laughs> and let me let's think about how would you like to respond what mm-hmm. would you like to say about the situation and then I had to tag team daddy and have him respond because I was I was too yeah so I think we have to also know ourselves know the situation and then you know have a good enough relationship with them that they can mm-hmm. ask us things like that that she doesn't have to struggle on her own because she knows that she can come to us with things and that we'll be honest about it and help her work through it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I really think it's about having that relationship, delighting in our kids. So even if they make the dumbest mistake, they know that we'll still have their back.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't mean, a lot of
2: parents think it's hard. A lot of parents think, well, if I delight in them and love them, it means I'm saying their behavior was okay. No, it's not. It's unconditional love. You're saying that I love you and you're worthy simply because you exist, not mm-hmm. because of how you act or not act. I love you regardless.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
2: doesn't get withdrawn and taken away simply because you messed up. I mean, gosh, how horrible is that if you feel as a minor that at any point you're one screw up away from being unloved? Like how horrible is yeah. that?
0: That's right? a, it's it's that's an anxiety-filled and very sad existence. And I I know that kids feel like that. Like just from working with teenagers, I know that they have that fear of that massive disappointment in their parents. And, you know, it it's scary because then it it leads to so many other behaviors and it leads to so much I think secrecy more than anything. But, oh, it's hard. Yeah. And people pleasing and anxiety and depression
2: and self-esteem issues.
0: Mm Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, and I just want to I want to pivot for a second because there was something here I, I wrote down. There was something that I saw on your I mean, since we've been starting, like since you and I started talking about you coming on the podcast, I started writing things down anytime I'd see you pop up. And I was like, oh, that's really great. I want to ask you about that. So this list has been going on for like a while. OK, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, okay. you had a post about helping kids feel motivated. And, you know, you were talking about older kids, like tweens and teens. But if we can bring this conversation down to younger ones, that'd be amazing. In helping a young kid feel motivated, like to, hey, Lucy, can you help me pick up all the toys? Hey, Lucy, can we go brush your teeth? That was a big one. So I downloaded an app two days ago. And the app shows you like a fake illustration of like all these germs on your teeth and you got to brush them away. But then it totally freaked her out and she started crying. (laughs) So how can we help? (laughs) It was bad. (laughs) How can we help kids feel motivated like young ones, like say from like two to five? So,
2: we don't want to do the scared straight route because it
0: feels tempting, right? It feels totally tempting, right?
2: I totally get it because we think that if they know how bad it can get, then maybe they'll do it. It's not really effective because it either some kids they're not either impacted by it or the others they'll freak out, okay? So, what we want to do is really look at go again, what's driving it and what's demotivating them. Okay. So, why aren't they? So, like with the toothbrushing, okay? When you look at your kid and they don't want to brush their teeth, you then have to dive deeper and figure out, okay, what is it? Is it that they are being interrupted from doing something that's more important, like playing with their dolls? Is it because they don't like the flavor of the toothpaste? Is it because the toothbrush is too hard and they need a softer one? Is it because um, they had a negative experience where they almost gagged? So in order... To me, every time we want to look at what strategy or intervention we want to use for a situation, you always got to figure out what is driving that lack of desire to do the thing. I do not believe kids are lazy, and I don't believe they want to behave badly. I think that they just need support and help in figuring out why that thing is so undesirable to do. And so I think we just have to dive deeper and figure it out. And then, and then experiment. You know, kind of like a functional behavior plan, you know, when my son went through that same phase and I was like, you know, he was having issues with his teeth and I'm like, tell me more about why you're not brushing. He's like, I don't know. And I said, uh, let's try different things. So we had him choose his own toothbrush, had him choose different flavored toothpaste. And the big thing for him was that the toothbrush was too big. The head was too big and too hard.
0: That's a good point. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hit up the uh, drugstore after, <laughs> after yep. this. Yeah. yeah, Because we tried so many
2: flavors. We tried so many brands, but it was because it was too big and too hard. And yeah. So I think we always want to get to the, the bottom of it and then, experiment, say, okay, well, it wasn't that. What is, could it be this? Could it be this? Mm -hmm. And really going through each thing. And that will help drive motivation. And then the second thing on top of that too, Alex, is that I think um, a big thing that helps with motivation is doing things alongside our kid. So if it's modeling and also just like scaffolding, like we would do in teaching, right? So if it's about cleaning their room, washing the dishes, throwing out the trash, like doing it with them. So, okay, oh gosh, look at your room. There's a lot of mess going on here. You had some serious playing. Okay, you get the books, I'll get the Legos. Okay, great, five minutes, timer. Okay, now you get the dolls, I'll get your dirty clothes. Mm -hmm. And doing it alongside them, because what you're doing is you're building up the skill on how to clean a room, for example, and they don't feel like they're in trouble and they feel like they're being supported And they're having a positive experience with it. So the next time they have to do it, their brain isn't associating the thing with feeling bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. Now they know that, oh, I have the skill how to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's not overwhelming because even as an adult, I think like today, like I told you, I'm overwhelmed today. Got so much on my plate. My husband is filming a TV show, show. So he's like not home until the evening. And then I'm helping out with the TV show, doing all the parenting and then doing podcasts, social media, and everything that I love to do and it's it's hard That's a lot. When it's stuff that you like to do too and you feel overwhelmed by it and it's it's tricky. So of course mm. I can see where, you know, those emotions come up in in kids. And I think again, as parents, it's easy to forget that. You know what I mean? It's easy to put them on the same level as us emotionally and cognitively in a lot of ways. But right. I think that going away from this interview for the listeners and for myself, I think the best reminder, and maybe I'll I'll have a different one after I listen to it once, but just after having this conversation with you, is never to stop showing our kids that we delight in them and never lose that because I think that would have so many other repercussions aside from just behavioral like we talked about but even just making life more pleasant for us and within the home and within the family. And I just, mm-hmm. I love the way you worded that so much. And that really sat with me. Uh, so I want, I want to thank you for that little nugget. And I want to ask, where can people go to follow you online, to do courses, whatever it is that you offer, where can they find it? So
2: the go-to would be definitely going to my website at a new s a. So, a new day essay as in sanantonio.com. And they can find my courses if I'm doing a collab um, with uh, an organization or a company. Uh, And I have tons of different courses on sibling conflict and um, anxiety, on highly sensitive kids, on just – kind of the range of things, Mm -hmm. sleep issues. So they can find that. I also have an online parenting community where we meet once a month to do parent coaching, group parent coaching. So they can find that. And then on social media, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, at dr.annelouise.lockhart. You're so active Um, on
0: Instagram, by the way. Thank you. I love Instagram. You are so good at pumping out that content (laughs) and everything is good too.
2: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think when Reels first came out, I was so resistant. And then I had a friend who was like kind of coaching me through it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Because I love acting. I've always loved like theater. I've always, I love humor. And so it's just such a great combination of all the stuff. So yeah, so they could find me, um, On Instagram, mostly on uh, Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart. So
0: yeah. Amazing. Anne-Louise, it was such a pleasure talking to you. And I'm already thinking in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I got to have her on. I didn't even get to this whole section I had. And then you (laughs) mentioned sibling conflict in the end. And that's so many questions already. So open invitation to please come sit down with me again, because I really do appreciate. I know nothing, right? I reach out to people like you who know things to help me know things. (laughs) And I really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. And it was so nice to get to know you. Same here. I would love to come back. Hell yeah. We'll do it up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take care and Louise. Have a good Bye. one. Bye. You too. <laughs> good
1: job. Good interview.
0: Thank you. Learn lots. Hope that you listeners did as well. I thought Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart is so knowledgeable in her like very expansive field. So
1: Good, learn lots, hope you did as well also. <laughs> All
0: right, well, let's get to the mailbag segment, which is when we get questions and topics from you wonderful listeners, and then we tackle them.
1: We're gonna crunch them today.
0: We're gonna crunch them. Yeah. All right, so the first question, just introspective. The person wants to know, how are you? How are we? Shane, how are you today?
1: I don't know, interesting day, because tomorrow Alex is going back to school as a teacher, and then she's going to essentially be our special helper on set for Mm -hmm. the sketch show. So the sketch show uh, in two days from today is going to kick into, I I don't know what to call it, but it's like a higher production Mm
0: -hmm.
1: mode where we had these summer sessions, which were kind of a skeleton crew. And now we have a much larger crew, production trucks, prop designers, et cetera. So it is both exciting and nerve wracking and a lot of things going on. (laughs) Because too, you can't help but feel what if this is all for naught, right mm. you you can't help but have the worst case scenario and then there's also who cares we're doing a, a sketch show about farty jokes and what is anything so that i'm i'm just honored to be doing this right now 100%. regardless of how it turns out
0: 100
1: I, I think it's gonna turn out well though
0: it's it's gonna turn out well to a lot of people and then a lot of people are gonna be like oh i don't get this like anything else and that's cool Oh, if
1: Jake says, uh, "Shows the show's too cluttered, man."
0: Like <laughs> your house, yeah. um, but no, you know I feel good. I feel a little bit. Okay, no, no, no. I feel not a little bit. I feel like totally depleted, but it's okay because I'm running on like really crazy fumes. These fumes mm. are nuts. Yeah, and. It's it, it, it'll carry me through.
1: Well, I'm giving you this advice. I, I mean, I gave you this advice off air. Now I'll give it to you on air. OK, don't burn out too early in the day. <laughs> Alex does this thing where she almost starts the day sometimes like she's an actress in a movie where she has to be Mary Poppins happy energy. Oh, hello, everyone. My children. Oh, is today going to be a good day? And it's this caricature of this happy parent and like pinching the kids and I
0: am happy. twirling
1: and dancing almost without fail. And I'm sure there's some exceptions as there is to everything in life. But you get so grumpy in the next half of the day because you're using the afternoon's happiness on the morning
0: oh because i am that happy but then it's just like then annoying things happen and you clean the freaking underneath of the the soap thing even and- if you're
1: not cleaning though on days oh. you're not even cleaning when you come out and start the day like a total ray of sunshine i don't even enjoy it it's just <laughs> it's an it's unsettling to me because i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and for you to crack and by two always you're a mess i
0: mess that is such an exaggeration
1: such well, an exaggeration
0: i'm just like snappy, not like
1: very snappy though
0: not no not even very snappy that's not even how you'd put it, it maybe very snappy for what i was that morning but like if a stranger came in i do not think that they would say oh she's very snappy
1: well you're very nice to strangers
0: no, As as a yeah. lot of people are you're if right so if they were flying on the wall and saw me interacting with you i don't think they would ever say oh she's very snappy
1: I don't know. Compared to the morning, I guess you're
0: right. Compared to the morning, but not in general. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But I'm, yeah, feeling depleted, but feeling excited. And honestly, like, day before school, I always, this is like the time that I'm always, um, like, not cleaning, but like getting laundry together, you know, getting a good shower. And you should see how long my freaking leg hairs are right now. It's going to take me a half hour to shave. Like, I want to paint my nails. I still got lots to do tonight. All like beauty stuff, you know? I just want you wanna start the year or start your week, start the shooting feeling good. And I've only got one day of school this month, really, because then I'm gonna be working with Shane. But I wanna go on that first day of set feeling good too. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I might go and, I might go and get a manicure after school tomorrow. Just so at least uh, I can have that going for me.
1: You know, but being on set, it's it's dirty work. So all eyes aren't gonna be on you, they're gonna be on your husband.
0: It's about feeling good and feeling yeah. prepared. You know what I mean?
1: It might feel good to get your hands dirty. Get some calluses on those <laughs> I've
0: things. Oh, God, calluses. Look at. I don't have like soft rich person hands. I have worker lady hands. Shame. So those
1: hands have never taken a garbage out of the kitchen <laughs> garbage receptacle. Have they? They have they, so. have.
0: they have. So when you were in Chicago, I took out all the trash.
1: I, I doubt it. Mm. You figured out a way to get your dad over here. He got you sushi.
0: <laughs> no, He
1: had some sake. He's like, oh, I'm going to take out the garbage.
0: <laughs> I wish. He, he typically would, though. Actually, he, he may have one of the nights, but I definitely took it out the next day. Mm. Um. Okay, next question. What are your favorite daily skincare products? So I'll go through these pretty quick, but there are some things that I absolutely love and have been using for a while. Um, so there's a brand, Continent, out of Toronto. They're great. Everything is like well-priced and everything just works like a simple skincare. Uh, so the consonant Hydra extreme serum, it's like better than hyaluronic serum. It's just, it's so good. It sits on your skin so nicely. So the F- consonant foaming face wash is like the best face wash I've ever used. And then they have a charcoal mask and reusable eye masks. The reusable eye masks are amazing. They last months and then it's, it's less waste. You put your own like serum underneath. It's beautiful. And then They have a vitamin E and oat serum when I need extra moisture. But then moving on to the ordinary, like the cheapest, most effective skincare on the market, they have the best niacinamide and I use their retinol. I'm using their retinol starting. Um, And then I'm like debating whether I splurge on it again or not. It was always my plan to when I was done breastfeeding Betty. But Dr. Dennis Gross has this amazing alpha beta peel. And you do it like... When, when I did it the first time, I did it after I finished breastfeeding um, Lucy or before, I can't remember, but it just made my skin glow. It was the best skin I had had like since before I hit puberty. And it was because of this peel. And I'm dying to get my hands on it again, but it's like a hundred bucks for 30 things. So I only, I remember only using it every second day or something for like the first week. And then after that, I just used it like, once or twice a week and that kind of kept it up and it was really nice
1: i've never been more bored in my life
0: sorry (laughs) i just shane it's a it's a good topic but we're done that question next question do y'all ever argue about neediness with each other
1: i I find alex to be very needy she's one of the neediest people i've ever met
0: Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. needy as hell as well In different Uh ways, but you're like so needy. You need me to like, uh, just you know, just (laughs) do certain things. Like you're just like so needy in that you want to be coddled, but not. And you're like kind of like a toddler. Like um, you want that air of independence, but then I'm I'm there to coddle you and like Mm -hmm. you know make your belly pains feel good or get you tea or do wash your underwear or whatever it is. And then you're like, you're very needy in a way, but I like it when you're needy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Once a month when I'm out of underwear, I can't find my underwear. So I go, Alex, can you find me a slice of underwear? And then you'll be like, I'll round up your underwear and throw it to me in in a plastic bag. And then I give you it all and you put it in the washing machine. That's once a month. Okay, I'm needy.
0: Every day this past week, you've asked me, hey Alex, can you grab me a slice of underwear? And then I got to go and grab you a slice. I don't know
1: where the slices are. Well,
0: you should know where your slices are.
1: The house is so cluttered. How could anyone <laughs> find anything?
0: <laughs> anyway, I think that we're both needy, but I don't think it causes arguments. No. You know what I mean?
1: No, it doesn't.
0: Because like, I'm pretty um, straightforward when I'm needing something. I'll be like, straight up, please tell me you love me a hundred times in a row.
1: Yeah, but I'm trying to think of a way it could manifest itself into an argument where like I think there was an opportunity for you to go to the cottage with the kids mm-hmm. and then you didn't. But then I noticed I was getting a little bit stressed because there was a lot of distractions going on in the house and I was thinking, wow, if she did go to the cottage, I could have got a lot done. I'm happy to have her around, but this made my life a little bit harder, and more stressed.
0: And it would have made my life harder and more stressed had I gone. To have
1: two grandparents with the kids no, making then, dinners? and.
0: Well, no, it's different than that. But like, then I can't get the sleep in in the morning. And then it's like because people got to have coffees. And I can't just be like, hey, take the kids from 7 to 9 so I can go and get that little sleep like you do. You know what I mean? I'm
1: sure if you wanted to take a nap, your parents would look after the kids. If you, if you said, hey, I'm going to... Take a nap, and could you take Lucy to the park and Betty or something? Your parents are pretty cool, like that.
0: No, they're they're really good, but um, I'm sure you could have had a nap. I don't know. It's just it's unspoken with you, and it was easy. And I'm going to a week of stress, and I just got out of a very stressful week because of PMS. So yes, yeah, so you like have a like, disease where no, you,
1: no, what we can't. Well, I don't want to
0: talk about it because I got to figure <laughs> it out first. Okay, but, but I might have like very severe PMS. That's the bottom line.
1: I'm glad you are suggesting this cuz i feel like if i did i'd be you know thrown in misogyny jail or something
0: no well it's only changed recently like i don't know what's changed but in the last 6 months i've started to get like really upset with my pms like depressed mm-hmm. and everything and it's like new so i'm i'm looking into it going to talk to somebody about it see what it is i've done some research on the internet and if anybody has was it ppmds or something i don't know shoot me a message let me know about it. Let me know how you got diagnosed, whatever, because I'm, uh, I'm interested in learning more. But next question. All right. This is not a question. It's a statement. I love you guys and your pod. I look forward to it every week. Thank you so much.
1: Who said that? Do I, I know them? Tell.
0: No, you don't. Um, but the next one. Do you feel like we have equality in household chores or is it still mainly on the women to do?
1: It's a little presumptuous.
0: instead of saying is it still mainly on the men to do get out of here
1: I guess Uh, Uh, no I I guess I thought it was saying like I thought the question was saying do you do you do them all or is it equal
0: well Shane answer that it's pretty equal it's pretty good it's pretty good in our house but still I think I do a little more but that's only because then I have like time because you're doing the sketch show but were we working an equal amount outside of the home, then it would be equal. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it's hard with the sketch show. It's it's a lot of work where I almost can't do anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. It's pretty all-consuming. And you're doing it within the home, too. So it's like it's tough because I could see what you're doing all day. I know that you're doing that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I'm on the phone a lot and answering emails a lot. And time goes by fast. So... From 7 a.m. till midnight is like a blur to me. Mm
0: -hmm. I think in general, though, obviously, I I don't think it's a question that it still is mostly on the women. I think that we're striving for more equality, but I do think that it is still on the women more. Why is that? Because that's how it's been. That's how we're conditioned. That's how people grow up. You know, Whether you're a woman or a man, that's how you grow up. That's what you see and what's modeled for you. So it's kind of... It feels like a natural thing to kind of fall into. And I think that we have to consciously work to change that. Like, As women, we have to consciously not gatekeep household chores, not gatekeep domestic things. And then as men, we have to really make a conscious effort to say, okay, what can I do to make things more equal, to ensure that I'm being a, I don't know, a a co- domestic chore.
1: Does it matter if the man is working more?
0: No, I think it matters if one of the people <laughs> is working more because that person is going to be out of the home more. And if that's the man, then that's, you know, that's for every family to decide. But I think that if you're working equal, then you do have to make conscious efforts to ensure that, you know, if that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah. What if the man wants the woman to work more?
0: If the man wants the woman to work more, like outside of the home? Yeah. Well, then have that discussion.
1: Okay. I was just wondering. I was like, because I wonder if there's the chore conversation, but then the man's like, well, I want you to work outside of the home more, and then I'll do more chores.
0: Well, there you go. Then that would be great for that family.
1: But then what if the woman's like, no, you just do more chores. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of like arguments and how to handle them.
0: Oh man, there was recently somebody that I know that posted a thing on Instagram and it was like, hey, I'm just putting this out there. No wrong answers. But do you think that it's actually better if women stay home and don't work and just have kids and clean houses and men go to work? If you think this is better, let me know. Again, no wrong answers. I'm like, this is a ridiculous conversation. I go to this guy's profile. He's got like, Videos of Andrew Tate on his thing. So I like, I know exactly where. No, no, where. you're
1: misleading. That video that you said where he put of Andrew Tate wasn't agreeing with him. It wasn't.
0: No, he was just adding to it. <laughs> he was adding more context to it. No, he wasn't. Because mm-hmm. Andrew Tate was like, getting a girl pregnant doesn't make you a father. And then the guy was like, being there does. Which I think is what Andrew Tate was going to say, right?
1: I don't know. I don't like... But I, I don't think he's a pro Andrew Tate guy. And that could be misconstrued through what you're saying that this guy aligns with him and he doesn't. Like, there's plenty of so many people. This proliferated the internet where Jordan Peterson had a clip about how you only get four years where your child's at like the optimum, yeah. like cute age. People who didn't even know who Jordan Peterson was were putting that like very innocent, nice women, yeah. Christian, religious people they people didn't know what they just hear a thing and they put it up and Andrew Tate kind of has like trolled the world and taken it by storm. And sometimes I see people putting up little things out of context because he might have a clip that's innocuous Mm -hmm. and they put it up and then people flag you as being some misogynistic person when you're just like, oh, he made one good point out of a million and I put it up and now I'm being flagged on a family podcast. Okay,
0: look, well, I did ask the guy and he said that he does think that women should stay home and men should work
1: yeah but maybe he just means for his lifestyle
0: no he thinks that the way life is going is destroying the family unit this is his belief
1: oh but you know i I bet you he's with a woman who believes that also
0: no and that's the thing and that's the thing i was like and every family is so different but we can't say what's good for one family is better for all families and we can't like make like statements like do you think this is better in general you know what i mean i found that infuriating
1: Well, I think you can say it and just have conversations and thoughts floating around.
0: Yeah, but I think that people that say these kinds of things are just wanting other people to agree with them so that they think the majority of the people agrees with them. And then it like allows them to form this opinion, which isn't actually a good opinion because, or sorry, like a good sample size. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm getting lost in my own thoughts here.
1: No, I get lost in them all the time, but I like to think about other people's point of view and mm-hmm. like yeah it, it is hard when both people are working and i'm not saying yeah i want i don't want like working if i i hate working mm-hmm. That's the, <laughs> i don't want to work i don't want to be caught up in this man life
0: look i like working with you i like the sketch show i think yeah. this is fun work like i like doing this going on the sketch show working coming but home and being you know like I Ooh, think hard day.
1: Sorry to cut you off, but do you know what I really think that Mm -hmm. men and women both shouldn't work and we should all just figure out a way to just hang out with our families all day and have fun.
0: Shane's turning into a communist, folks. Well, I don't. No, I, that's not communism. I'm joking.
1: I don't even know what communism is. It's and not that. I feel like a lot of people try to. I'm writing a sketch where someone's supposed to be accused of being a communist, but no one's able to exactly define it. So I'm right now. I'm like, is this what a communist is? And no one can tell me the answer.
0: I can tell you the answer. I'll talk to you about it off camera. But the the word that you're like saying "commie" in the context that you're saying it in works. Do people uh, generally agree on that?
1: They, they don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem to be. And when I looked up the definition online, it doesn't seem to align with it. In the sketch, this man wants men and women to be equally featured in sexy car wash magazines. <laughs> and I have a line where they called me a communist because this guy's older and he's talking about when he was younger mm-hmm. that people used to call him a commie. But I don't know if that applies in the context of wanting to both men and women to have equal uh, featured like, be, to be featured equally in a car wash magazine equally.
0: Well, look, you're looking for, like, a pejorative for a left-wing person, a liberal, right? So, in that day, commie would be a good derogatory term for anybody that's viewed as, like, extreme liberal. left-wing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then it is good. Yeah. It is good. I yeah. know what I'm talking about. But uh, next question. The Friends TV show. Ross and Rachel were on a break. Does that mean that you can have sex with someone else or is that only if it's a breakup? So I don't watch friends but I don't I know that they're like together on off whatever. I know how the show goes but it all boils down to the question is it okay to get intimate with somebody else when you're on a break with somebody? I do you want to answer on the count of three what we think?
1: Of course you're gonna say yes. Yeah. yeah of course I'm out there that night. That's how I get over things.
0: Yeah, same. Same. So maybe you're asking the two wrong people, but I think if somebody's telling me, hey, honey, uh, we need to take a break. I am scheduling a date. I'm going to make myself available and I'm going to I'm going to meet somebody because to me, a break is like taking a break from that person, trying to see what your life could be like without them. Right, but not cutting them off completely, and like you're going to return to the conversation a month later. To me, in my head, that's what a break is. If you just need space from somebody, you have to make that, I think, explicitly clear and just say, like, Hey, I'm going to my parents for a few days, whatever. This isn't a break. It's not a breakup. I just need to take some space. That is different, but you need to be explicit about it. What do you think?
1: Um, I don't know. Every relationship's so different.
0: See, I've never viewed a break as not that though. Like not in my relationship, like any relationship. A friend will be like, Have oh, they're going on a break. break. No, we were considering a break once and then I just said no. Dumping.
1: Oh, that's how you worded it. I thought you were gonna say no, we're staying together, but no, dumping. <laughs>
0: that's what I said to the person.
1: So they brought time. up, they brought up break.
0: Yeah, but they didn't mean it like that. They didn't mean it like, like break for like a month. You know what I mean? They what just did they mean they just meant like a few days.
1: Hmm, you are overbearing, I guess.
0: <laughs> but um, I was like, no, nah, no.
1: Nah. Why a few day break?
0: I don't know. He was like, oh, I want some space. Let's take a break. And I'm like, if you're gonna use that language, no. Let's just dump. Bye.
1: What? How old were you?
0: I don't know. Twenty one. Wow. Yeah.
1: Jeez, did the man regret it?
0: Of course he regretted it. Okay. But, yeah, he cried like a baby after, and you know what? I relished every tear.
1: Hmm. I don't
0: know if that makes me evil or not, but every tear Tear that went down. Tear shaming? No, I did not feel bad, and every tear I saw, I was like, yeah, give me more, loser.
1: Okay, so this feels a little bit (laughs) like one-sided. Like, if I had said that about a woman... You you just went on this Andrew Tate shaming thing and you became the female equivalent to him.
0: I've got some problems, Shane. All right. We all got something we got to work on.
1: But imagine me saying uh, I broke up with a woman, laughed at her tears and well, called her a loser. she asked you
0: for a break, he wasn't a loser. I'm saying that like mimicking, you know, any anger I felt at the time. But if somebody's saying they want to go on a break to you, it's going to hurt and you're not going to like that. So I think you're allowed to have like thoughts as long as you don't actually think those things and you can distinguish in your own brain.
1: Who do you give more credence to, a man or a woman saying they want to break? Like what's more real and what is more trying to distance themselves from the relationship so they can exit out of it? Because I feel like when a woman says she wants to break, and obviously exceptions to every generalization, that they mean it more. And they're actually willing to use the break as a time to be therapeutic and go to work it out somehow and talk to their friends and talk to you and maybe go to a counseling. And
0: But you can do that without taking a break. Like you can do you can change know, the but, wording.
1: I know that. But that's not the question I'm asking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm saying when presented with a break. I feel like a man might be using it more to ease out of the relationship mm-hmm. and lead to a breakup, whereas I feel like a lot of women, when they do it, they actually want to reconcile eventually, or they're more open to it. Or maybe this is an Andrew Tate esque statement. And uh, no,
0: no, no i i want to I want <clears throat> to approach this with like no, like openly. And I don't. I honestly don't think like because I differ so far from you know maybe one of my friends in my mindset and how i would approach breaks and i know for sure that i have friends that share my mindset mm-hmm. and others that don't and i really think it's an individual thing i, I don't even think it can be divided based on like gender I, okay I, I so you think don't
1: think that like to, i'm talking in general terms like to generalize
0: no i think if you can generalize or just have to be like generalized by like personality type more than anything
1: oh, okay so like would you like to generalize would you say men or women are more emotional? <laughs> what? You can't generalize at all. I was just curious. I'm not even trying to be I'm I'm I was just wondering if that's like a, a deep root of philosophy where you you just in general don't generalize. <laughs> no. Cuz I don't know.
0: And I also think that men and women are equally emotional but in different ways. I think men are
1: Guess. Yeah, but to just to generalize what the term emotional means, it's boohoo emotion,
0: not yeah, emotion.
1: not not anger emotion. Because I would think to generalize that men would tend to have anger emotion mm-hmm. to be lead at the forefront, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about this. Mike, Alice is clearly
0: no, terrified. No, because <laughs> no, I'm I'm debating in my head. I'm like, is this an okay conversation to have? I don't, I don't know. know.
1: I don't know. That's I'm. <laughs> I'm kind of asking just that because I don't even know. Because you know,
0: I don't even know. I, I'm an you know. old
1: man here. Okay, that's the the main thing we're getting at. It's hard when you're 39. You kind of straddling both sides of the equator on being woke and being totally out of it.
0: Yeah. No, I I get nervous all the time about conversations like this and if they're okay to have conversations like Mm -hmm. that and I think you and I also approach things from a very open perspective so it's like of course you and I could have conversations like that because we're very rational we are with it we're open but then at the same time it's like even just the process of having that conversation I don't know I don't
1: know if I'm rational or with it Alex
0: (laughs) (laughs) we you are
1: six years younger than me so you're way more with it than I am
0: maybe in some ways but
1: very non-committal today (laughs) can't even admit to that you're more with it
0: it's been a hard day shane it's been such a hard day but you know what i've had a really nice time talking to you on this podcast and i'm so glad as i always am that we sat down to do it
1: i always am also (laughs) glad (laughs) and thank you so much for listening to this This family Family tree Tree Podcast. podcast
0: episode 142